0: I want to start off with a little story here. The title for today's message is A Piece of Peace. A Piece of Peace. In the uh, early 80s, there was a retired couple, and they were really concerned about the threat of nuclear war, um, or as uh, we used to say it back then, nuclear war. And we decided to Uh, This family, they decided to carefully research Maybe where the safest place on earth would be And they decided that's where they're going to move That's where they're going to live Because if, you know, war breaks out They definitely don't want to be anywhere near it So they studied and they traveled, researched And finally, they found the place And on Christmas, uh, they moved And uh, on Christmas, they sent their pastor a card From their new home, which was the Falkland Islands. And a few months after they had moved, war broke out over those very same islands uh, between Argentina and England um, as they fought for control over those islands. People are looking for peace, but it is an ever elusive thing. Uh, We seek for it in the world, and yet, no matter how many people have been seeking it for how long now, we still have not been successful. Millions of people, uh, you know, this past, you know, winter, spring, uh, we see praying for peace. Um, Even atheists, people who don't normally believe in God are, are praying or something. They're wishing for peace in the Middle East, they're wishing for peace in South America, they're wishing for peace most recently in North Korea, as you guys know about all those crazy things that um, that dictator over there is doing and threatening to do. But it's not just, you know, in international places, it's also here right at home, as we try just about anything to get our peace of Peace. We all want a share of that pie called peace. And so we look for it in herbal supplements. We look for it in sleeping aids. We look for it in uh, meditation. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in food, drink, alcohol, substances. We, We enter counseling looking for peace. We read books. We listen to sermons. We ask the advice of close friends and professionals and even newspaper columnists, right? We're all looking for peace. But peace seems even more elusive now than ever. So this should make you wonder, is peace even a possibility? There was a song that was written by U2. You guys know the group U2? Um, And even though the words to this song were written actually about 30 years ago, exactly 30 years ago, uh, I think it was 1983, the words are still very relevant. Take a listen. I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long, how long must we sing this song? Broken bottles under children's feet. Bodies strewn across the dead-end street. How long, how long must we sing this song? I mean, if you didn't know any better, it's almost like a a prophecy of even the events of the last couple weeks, right? A couple weeks ago, we had the Boston Marathon bombing. And then that same week, two days later, what happened? We had another explosion um, at that fertilizer plant in Texas and uh, that was actually a bigger explosion. It leveled all the buildings within a five block radius. That's a that's a lot of area. <laughs> and it injured hundreds and and this is surprising it only killed 15 for an explosion that that uh, was that big and of that scale. Um, but there are some other factors that, uh, led to that and so we're just thankful that more people were not killed because that's a horrible thing and as a song by you 2 says we just when we hear about these things we just wish we could close our eyes right and we just we can't believe the news that we hear and we just wish it would just all go away don't we And for some of us, we have that luxury. Some of us, we can close our eyes and pretend that it's not happening so we can keep ourselves from not having a bad week. But guess what? There are people in Boston and there are people in Texas who are in it right now, even if we weren't. It's all very real. And it all makes us wish that we could just close our eyes and make it all go away. And we wonder how long, how long In Boston, the explosion was intentional. It was a result of human will, as we're finding out, right? In the other case in Texas, that explosion was accidental. That was a result of human limitation. So of one explosion, the result of human will. Another explosion, the result of human limitation. As a human race, we might be improving, and I say that, you know, not completely convinced, but we might be improving throughout history. But you know what? We're killing an awful lot of people along the way, aren't we? Whether through our intent, like in Boston, or whether through our limitations as imperfect people, like in Texas, it doesn't matter. Is peace a possibility? Well, let's find out. Turn to your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. If you'd open up to the 6th chapter of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at verse 11 through 15. It's kind of a continuation of Um, last week's theme, the gospel of peace and what happens and what what are the implications of the gospel of peace. So we're going to get into that a little more. Verse 11, please listen carefully. This is the word of God. And again, let's think about that question. Is peace a possibility in all the chaos that we're hearing and, and seeing and witnessing? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Lord, is peace a possibility? Lord, we come to you with that question today, even if not in our heads, definitely in our hearts, we're wondering. And we uh, that's, a, that's a question that we, we ask not just on a kind of global, uh, political level, but also in a very individual way as well. It touches all aspects of human life and experience. And so we want to know if peace is a possibility in this world. Would you show us? Would you teach us? Not just so that we would know, but so that we can also help and minister to those around us who are struggling with the very same question. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we learned about fitting our feet with a readiness, right? A a joyous readiness. And this joyous readiness comes from what? The gospel of peace. And so God tells us, hey, peace is not only a possibility for you, but peace is to be a a very real thing in your hearts and a very real thing in your daily life. This is a peace that God gives us, and He wants to tell you this peace plays out in every aspect of the life of a believer. This peace is designed to play out in every aspect in the life of a believer. So we're going to look at just three ways today. We're going to look at this peace in three ways. Number one, peace with God. And we talked a little bit about it last week and we're going to finish those thoughts. And then number two, peace from God for God. That's the second way. Peace from God for God. And I'll explain what that means. And then three, peace with others and guess what? That others includes yourself. Peace with yourself. Peace with others. Including yourself. Now, if you recall, uh, I mentioned last week that the main piece that comes from the gospel is peace with God. Okay, so think of it this way. The main piece that comes with the gospel is the peace that it gives you with God. Okay? Peace with God. Back um, in chapter 2, we read, quote, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were far are now brought near to God by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh this dividing wall of hostility. Now this dividing wall of hostility, it's the dividing wall that separates us from God. And this dividing wall causes certain problems. And some of the problems that this dividing wall causes can be seen in events like the Boston Marathon Massacre or the Texas Fertilizer Plant Explosion and any other tragedy and mishap that you can think of. For the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, as he thinks about this wall of hostility, he then shares how in his experience, God broke down that wall of hostility. And he records his experience um, in pretty much the the entire New Testament. So just to kind of sum up all of that for you, uh, Paul just to give you a little information about him he traveled throughout the mediterranean sea area as as, you know we prayed for greece you saw a little map there kind of that area and a little bit beyond and paul was in continuous conflict with those people who follow jesus And not only those people who follow Jesus, but also anyone who was not a Jew. He was a Jew, and anyone who was not a Jew, he had a problem with. There could be no peace between Jews and non-Jews for Paul. That's that dividing wall of hostility again. But as we see in Paul's own life, it was only when Paul trusted his life with Jesus that he experienced peace that allowed him to reach out and reach across that dividing wall of hostility to those who were different from him, to those that he had a bias against, to those that he had no natural inclination towards. And that was only possible when Paul had peace with God. Let me explain. As Paul was on his one of his many trips around the old world, Trying to discourage and even imprison and even kill these followers of Jesus. That was his mission in life, okay, at this point. He was trying to eradicate the movement of Jesus. And as he was doing this, this one of his trips took him to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, all of a sudden there was a brilliant light that flashed all around him from heaven. And it just came down and light, it surrounded and he fell to the ground, and then he heard a voice which no one else heard, but they did hear a sound, but they didn't know what they, you know, what it was saying. But Paul, at the, t- at the time his name was Saul, he heard a voice, and the voice told him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you making my life mis- Why are you trying to go out of your way? Well, why is your mission in life to persecute me. And Paul, Saul said, who, who are you? He doesn't know, right? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do from there. Saul was a man with a mission. He was going to rid the world of these Jesus followers. And he declared war on anyone was associated with Jesus, he was not at peace. Peace was not possible for Saul. And here, in the, in Acts nine, you know this story. Saul hears from God himself. Saul, you are at war with me. Now imagine this the very God that Saul is trying to worship and and make proud, right? And that's why he's going around the world and doing all these things for God. That very same God says to Saul, you think you love me, but you're persecuting me. You think you're helping me, but you're actually at war with me. This was the very purpose of Saul's life. You need to understand, we need to understand what this meant for him personally. That his whole personal mission, his very reason for being was to uplift this God. And then in that moment, that very same God was pointing his finger back at Saul and saying, You, who say you love me, are trying to kill me, trying to get rid of me. What if, you know, we got Mother's Day coming up. What if on Mother's Day you give a card to your mom that you love and then your mom takes the card, reads it, and goes, you are at war with me. Wouldn't that strike you? That would make you think, what are you talking about? And so for Saul, he was wondering, what what do you mean, God? I'm... I'm doing all these things for you. What do you mean that I'm trying to war against you? And he realized that Jesus was actually who he said he was. And he realized that the Messiah that Saul and all his other Jewish brothers and sisters were waiting for, Jesus was that Messiah. And then all of a sudden, he's remembering what they did to him. And as a man, as a human being, at that moment, he becomes undone. Because he realized he killed the very God that he was trying to honor and make proud of him. Now, do you know why? This This is why I think Saul became Paul and became maybe the greatest Christian to ever live. Because in that moment when he realized that this God who he said he loved was saying, no, actually, you're waging war against me. Saul, with all the biblical knowledge that he had, all the scriptural knowledge that he had, he knew he deserved death. He knew, if I'm against Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of of Israel, then I have no right to live. And then he realizes that Jesus didn't exact revenge upon Saul, but he himself died for Saul. Now this completely blows his mind. If he was surprised by the fact that he was waging war against the God he loved, he was even more surprised that the God that he dishonored would now die for him. The God that Saul dishonored died for him. I want to ask you guys, are you guys busy in your own spiritual life trying to make God proud? Maybe, maybe not. I want you to ask yourself that same question that, that Saul was presented with. As you are doing everything you know, supposedly for God, ask yourself am i actually waging war against the very god that i say that i believe in are we at war with that god how do we how would we know well god says here's how we need to live are we living that way if not then we are warring with god's word If you're a parent and you give an instruction to your child and they willingly, knowingly know this is what you said and then they go against it and do the opposite thing, what, are they, what is your kid doing? They are declaring war on you. Maybe we've gone through that, right? When we were children, our parents say, don't you know, do this, don't touch the stove, don't eat that junk food. And as soon as no one's looking, we do exactly that. We're declaring war on that person by going against their instructions. Are we all that different from Saul? And yet, that same God died for Saul. And that's the point here that Saul now understands there was a dividing wall of hostility and he thought he was like breaking the, he didn't even know there was a dividing wall of, history be, uh, of hostility be, between him and God he knew there was between him and other people but not certainly not between me and God and all of a sudden on that road to Damascus God showed him there certainly is a wall between me and you Saul and it's your own pride your own desire to try to fix your life with your effort, your desire to make yourself holy by following a set of rules, and those are the things which are adding to this wall between us, and at the very top is the fact that you have rejected the Messiah that I sent. But God does not wreak havoc on Saul and bring judgment upon him for what he did. Instead, he died. And there we have the peace with God. That wall came down, not through Saul's efforts, but through God's efforts. And now he has peace with God. He finally understood that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the way that God would show the world how much he loves the world. Paul later would write after going through this life-changing experience. He said, my past, everything in it that I was so proud of before, now it's just trash. Because I was trying to make myself right and I was trying to make a life for myself through my own efforts but I finally realized the only way that we can be made right in God's sight is by faith when we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This peace with God leads then to the second aspect of peace that we're going to talk about, peace from God for God. Peace from God for God and His will, if you want to put it that way. What does this mean? What am I talking about? Look at chapter 6, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And it goes on and on. Um, and then it says, against, It is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. It says that in 6.12 that there are spiritual forces of evil. Think about that. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and these forces are against you and maybe they're up there you know and that's what we have this up here for we have the heavenly realms the uranos as the greek says and here we are the earthly realm And maybe these spiritual forces of evil have their weapons aimed at us. And if we look at this passage, it's not a maybe, it's a certainty. And where are these spiritual forces? They're in the heavenly realms, right? Now, here's an interesting thing. There is something else in the heavenly realms that same exact phrase, the heavenly realms. If you have your Bibles, um, I hope you do turn to chapter 2, verse 6. And read that together, if you would, um, on my count. Ready? Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 6. All together. And God, raised, all together, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's the same exact phrase. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This armor, what this means is Christ has already won. Even though these spiritual forces of evil are taking aim at us in the heavenly realms, Christ is in the heavenly realms. He is seated there. And guess what? You are seated with him. Can you believe that? What are the implications? It means that you are, are no longer at war with God, if you are in Christ. You have peace with God. It also means that you are no longer at war with these spiritual forces of evil. The war has already been won. Now we still have little skirmishes and battles. I liken it to, to the fact that um, you know when you have a world war, you may have a treaty, you know, like in Versailles or in Paris, where all the power, you know, the heads come together and they say, now the war is over. But guess what? Even after the war is over, the news still has to spread, the good news. And until that happens, what's going on? There's still little skirmishes where people don't know that the war has been declared over and they're still battling. It's kind of like that. That's why we, we see here, but, pastor, I mean, if the war's already won, why does God tell us to put on the full armor? We should take off the full armor. Well, because... There's still battles going on. The war is done. But there's still battles, leftover skirmishes that we're involved in the already but not yet. Christ has already won therefore you've already won you have eternal life the main issue is is settled you can have peace about that issue you see that you can have peace now about that issue and if the biggest issue in the universe is is been settled you're gonna get eternal life then all the other issues shrink don't they they you get to see them in perspective you get to see them in proportion all of a sudden your utility bill that you can't pay yes it's a pain in the butt yes it's a problem but when you stack that up against the fact that the war has been won for your soul you can handle it when you have a problem with your spouse that's a bigger one than a utility bill I can tell you that but again if God has forgiven you your sin then we certainly have the power to forgive our spouses their sin. You see that? Christ has won. The main issue is settled. And because that main issue is settled, it has a trickle-down effect on all aspects of life. That's what Easter, or as I like to call it, Resurrection Sunday, that's what it's about. Therefore, this spiritual armor that we're talking about now, you know, in chapter 6... It's not there to cover us because, you know, we need protection because, like, we're uncertain. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not out there, oh, we, we need to put this on because we might die. No, you will not die. You have already won in Christ. Instead, what that armor is there for, it's because he's already won, and you are, and I are seated with him in where? The heavenly realms, And we have that armor and that armor. What is the purpose of that armor? The purpose of that armor is to empower us by God himself to be able to move forward in life with peace from God and for God's plan and will. That's what I mean by peace from God for God. Now you have peace to do whatever God asks of you. Because again, as we talked about last week, you're playing with house money. You're already infinity amounts of whatever ahead. But nothing you can do to, can make you go back into the negative. Therefore, be free, be bold to do what God tells you to do. You have peace because you're never going to get past rock bottom again. You have peace from God for God's will and plan and mission. We have two brothers we are going to go to Slovenia and to the Philippines. Josiah, Elijah, may you have peace that God has already gone ahead of you, that the work of the cross has already been done and all you need to do is proclaim it and be a witness to it. Amen? That's what we're here for. Have peace from God for his plan, for God. Because you are seated here in the heavenly realms. The war is over. The war is done. The result has been determined. And you are on the winning side. Thanks be to Christ. So that's what the armor of God gives you. It empowers you to do that. Finally, the third kind of peace. This leads to peace with ourselves. And others, or as I said in the beginning, the third kind of peace that plays out when we get peace from God is peace with others, and that includes yourself. First, ourselves. Some of you might think, man, you know, I'm a tough guy or a tough girl. I don't think peace with myself is all that important. That sounds like a foo-foo psychological stuff. I don't need that stuff, right? Maybe you feel like you don't, but the Bible says otherwise. We see how important, there are examples in the Bible of where this peace with yourself is very important. We see that in the Apostle Paul, we see that in the Apostle Peter, and we see that in Judas. For Peter, we talked about Paul, we talked about how his peace, he just, you know, fell apart, because, of what he had discovered, what he was really doing in actuality was the opposite of what he thought he was doing. And it wasn't until he understood Jesus is the Messiah that he had peace to be able to move on and then become one of the most famous people in the world. The most powerful, influential sex, I mean, you name it. Now let's look at Peter. Peace for Peter, that went out the window when, you know, as we see in the Gospels, he denied Jesus. As soon as he heard that rooster crow Peace left, whatever trace of peace he had, and as we look at the passages, you know, before that, you know, you Peter's probably not your number one candidate for you know the most likely to have peace, you know, in his yearbook. And yet, whatever trace of peace he had, that had to have just been shredded once he heard that rooster crow. When Jesus said, "Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times," and Peter, like, "What are you talking? No way! I would die for you." And then, sure enough. He denies Jesus, even as Jesus need, needs his friends. In his, his hour of, of most deep need, Peter denied him and turned his back on him. Peace also left Judas when he betrayed Jesus for just a few pieces of silver. So in these two guys, peace they don't have peace with themselves. Now, how does this play out in their lives? Well, tragically for Judas... He could not reconcile himself with God for what he had done. At the end, he finally says, he was not a guilt, he was innocent. And because he had played part in executing an innocent man, he had no peace. He couldn't sleep. He was miserable. He loathed himself. Anyone here ever struggle with self-loathing? Looking in the mirror and just saying, why are you such a failure? Why can't I do this? Do you ever get frustrated with yourself? What's wrong with me, you ask? Why can't I? Why don't I? Why do I act like that? I'm so embarrassed. Judas experienced this in spades when he betrayed an innocent, and not just an innocent man, but the best man that he had ever known just a few pieces of silver and what happened because he had no peace with himself look you want to hear somebody say that it's not important to have peace with yourself that is a that's a that's a that's that's a lie because for Judas when he realized that he had no peace with him he couldn't live with himself he did the extreme he killed himself he hung himself For Peter, he did not have that peace until Jesus resurrected, came to him and said, Peter, basically said, he gave him a chance to say and and express how he really felt. He said, Peter, do you love me? And, And Peter said, I do. And he asked him that again. Do you love me? He said, I do. And he asked him a third time. And Peter was like, why would you ask me three times? I already told you. Yes, I do love you. And in that moment when Jesus said, "Okay, now feed my sheep." That was for Peter a sign that Jesus was accepting Peter's love. And because he accepted Peter's love, he's now Jesus is saying, "Now I'm going to trust my followers to you, Peter." You see, there's no there's no other way that you can show your trust for someone more than by Giving care of your children or your father, whatever, to a person, right? These followers to G- Jesus, they are his; they're his heart. Just by looking at them and how how confused and sad that he he wept, and then he's gonna these very people that he loves, he then entrusts to this man who just a few days ago betrayed him, and you know, uh, because this little girl asked him, "Are you? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers?" And oh no, no, no. Do you see how that just? It's a complete reversal. Peter went from down here, betrayer, liar, because he said, I'm going to die for you, but he didn't. And Jesus restored him, and then beyond. He blessed him even beyond. And he said, not only will I accept your love, Peter, but now I'm going to entrust my my precious children to you. Feed my sheep. And at that moment, Peter had peace with himself because God gave it to him. Do you have peace with yourself? Or do you still struggle with those questions of your worth, of your ability? Are you constantly worrying? You know, worry, it sucks the peace out of life. Worry and peace cannot coexist. There's a difference between cognitive awareness of a problem and then worry. Worry is just going over and over the same thing, right? And working yourself into this, like, ah. It's like oil and water, they don't mix. Worry is based, here's why worry is based 100% on your effort. Peace from God is a reminder that God has already put in the effort. Therefore, you don't need to rely on your effort. Do you struggle with peace with yourself? Do you struggle also with peace with others? (laughs) If you don't, let me tell you something, if you don't have peace with yourself, there's going to be a pattern in your life where you're not going to have peace with others. Let me put it this way if you don't, if you find that in a lot of your relationships you have a lot of headbutting, a good question to ask yourself is maybe it's because I don't have peace myself. Have you ever been around a person who doesn't have is isn't at peace with themselves? You, you begin to feel their negative. Vibe and just their complaining and the lack of gratitude and the lack of uh, compassion and understanding and grace, and you're you're walking on eggshells, right? Right? That's what happens when you have no peace with yourself—the kind of peace that Peter got from Jesus, or that Paul got, or that Judas didn't get. If you don't have, and this is why I tie these two together, if you don't have peace with yourself, you will not have peace with others. You will not walk in relationships peacefully with others. And this is why Paul tells us, put on this armor. This is why God says, make your feet ready with the the gospel of peace so that you can experience peace with God, from God, for God, with with yourself and with others. Look, if God himself looks at you and says, I have no problem with you. We're good. Then you have no right to look back at God and say, but I don't have peace with myself. If God himself is saying, I have no problem with you, you are right in my eyes, then you have no right, we have no right to look right back at God and say, no, be that as it may, I still have no peace with myself. Because what we're doing is we're we're playing God. We're saying our opinion is stronger than God's. We're saying that what God says doesn't count as much as what I feel. Does that make sense? We may feel sometimes this way or that way about ourselves. When you do so, you need to remember how God sees you. And if you don't remember how God sees you, go back to where he tells you how he sees you, the word. The word never changes. It's written in blood, if you want. It's there. It doesn't change. The text doesn't change. You who were once far from God have been now brought near to God. And God says, you're okay. I'm good with you. We're good through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, surrender your view that you have of yourself and accept my view that I have of you. Adopted through Christ. Righteous. Perfect. And as you think about that, as you Understand and meditate, guys, upon the fact that you are accepted by God through Christ, it will give you peace. And as you have peace, as that peace marinades in your soul, you will then extend that peace to other people who hurt you. Proverbs 16:7 says this: When the ways of people please the Lord, he makes even their enemies live at peace with them. When you are walking in the way of the Lord, guys, and when you are following Jesus, even your enemies will live at peace with you. And i close with this little dilemma here. Some of us might be saying, man, I wish that were true. Man, I have people who mock me, laugh at me. How can this be true? How can I have peace with others? And I say this as a challenge for all of us. With no condescension. But rather as a way to maybe, hey, let's all help each other. I say this. You know... Do you want to know why we struggle with not feeling like we have peace? Do you want to know why we feel like we don't have that peace? A lot of people, you see, especially in the church, we say, Well, I believe in Jesus, but it hasn't given this, this amazing peace that you talk about. It hasn't given me power over my frustrating habits. Do you want to know why? A big reason why is because you and I think that we're just kind of a bad person. But in general, we're good. We're definitely not as bad as that guy, right? We're definitely not as bad as Dzhokhar, you know, Tsarnaev. We're definitely not as bad as Adolf Hitler. You know what God says? Yes, you are. Because I am so holy that even the smallest speck on your life is a stench. You're like two flies comparing the size of the poo speck on your leg. It doesn't matter. You're both dirty flies. And yet, dirty fly, I'm gonna die for you because I love you. When we understand that, and not just oh, you know, I'm just kind of a bad person, and Jesus died for me to, to be like a, an example. He's just there as an example for me, to a moral f- example for me to follow. And he's just there to kind of teach me how to be a better person. That's not it. That's the... That's a periphery. That's a result. That's not the heart. The heart is that I am a dirty fly, guys. I speak this from my own experience. I Right now, I'm speaking my own. I'm a sinner. I was a sinner who deserved the slime pits of hell. And God died for me even as I was spitting in his face. He died for me. He loved me. And that's why I love him back. And for no other reason. Because even as I was spitting in his face, he was taking it and he was hugging me and embracing me and loving me and accepting me and saving me. That's why I love this God. He's not there to show me a moral example. I'm not supposed to go out and, and die for the sins of others. He came to love you, to save you from yourself, from sin. And that's why I can give my life to this God. That's why I can give my life to his mission, because I can trust him, because he already gave me everything. What about you? What about us? Are we with him? Or are you still kind of holding back, still afraid of God. Are you afraid of God? Don't be. Because there's no one in this universe who loves you more. Give in. Surrender everything in your life to God. Because He loves you the most. Why are we so afraid of surrendering to God? It's because we think He's holding out, but He's not. He gave everything for you. For us. If you really knew who God was, you would run to him. If you really knew who God was, you wouldn't be afraid of surrendering. You would actually be like, what am I doing? I better get to God. When Christ died, he left a will for us. Uh, one writer says, "He gave his soul to his father. He gave his body to Joseph of Arimathea, right? The guy who buried him. He gave his clothes to the soldiers, right? And that fulfilled the uh, prophecy. He gave his mother to John, but to his disciples, who were, you know, who who all left, who had left everything to follow him. He left them not silver, not gold, but something far better. He left them his peace." and all the different facets that that encompasses. Peace with God, peace from God, peace for God's will, peace with yourself, peace with others. Earlier today, uh, we started with that quote from the U2 song, Sunday Bloody Sunday. I can't believe the news today. Uh, I just want to close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? Today millions cry. We eat and drink while tomorrow they die. How long must we sing this song? There's an answer that God gives to that question that Bono wailfully sings. And God answers that question. He says this in Psalm 13. How long? How long? I have given you Steadfast love. I have given you salvation. You don't need to sing how long any longer. It's done. It's finished. Have peace. Go forth now with this peace, with your, shoe, with your feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace and go out and spread the joy that I have given to you. Let's pray.